Well, we're going to jump straight into the word today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start at verse 21. And if you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen or right here on this TV. And so we're going to jump straight in. If I give a little bit of backstory about this um, here, right before this passage we're about to read, Jesus and Peter are having a little bit of a dialogue together. If you don't know who Peter is, he's one of Jesus' disciples. In fact, he was a part of Jesus' close three. It was Peter, James, and John who were a part of that group. And uh, Peter um, asked, or Jesus asked Peter a question. He says, Peter, who do people say I am? And Peter responded with, well, you're a good man. They think you're a great prophet and, and all these things. And he goes, who do you say I am? And Peter's response is, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. You were sent here from heaven to this earth. And um, Jesus says, this is not by your own doing, but by the spirit of God that you're able to say this and convey this today. And um, after that, this is where we pick up here in Mark, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 16. And it says this, it says, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. Then it goes on to say this, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Let me pause here for a second. Let me give you something free today. If you wanna learn what not to do, don't do this. <laughs> don't be Peter, please. Do not try to rebuke Jesus. It will not turn out well for you. I just wanna promise you that right now. Um, it's like trying to talk back to your mom for your kid, not the best, you don't want that. Um, so anyway, Peter began to rebuke him. And he says, oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. And then Jesus turned, I told you, and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. Whew. You are a hindrance to me, watch this, because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. And I think it's important for us to notice today, you know, we may hear Peter's response to Jesus and think, oh, he just cares about Jesus. He doesn't want him to die. He doesn't want him to be, and go through all this suffering and pain. And he just, he just really loves the Lord. But Jesus' response tells us otherwise. In fact, I'd go as far to say this, is that as I was doing some studying on this passage, um, Peter, along with other disciples as well as other people on the earth, thought that Jesus had come to set up an earthly kingdom, but instead a heavenly one. And so in their mind, they're thinking, oh, Jesus is coming to take over. He's coming to kick everyone out and sit on the throne. And so in Peter's mind, he's thinking, well, if that's the case, then that means I get to benefit from him being the king on the earth because I'm a part of his three, I'm close to him, I get to benefit from that. I would go as far to say this, Peter wasn't concerned, he was selfish. He didn't truly care that Jesus was going to do what he was going to do. In fact, he only cared about what he benefited from it. And if Jesus died, then that means he wouldn't get what he thought he would get. But as Jesus says, he goes to rise on the third day. And I think that's the most amazing thing about this is this is that what Jesus came to do is he came to this earth in the form of a man becoming perfect in every way possible and not sinning one time, then dying on the cross for my sin and for your sin, and then rising from the grave to overcome the very sin that tried to separate us from him. That is the gospel. That's the good news. That's why Jesus came. And this is what he's trying to help Peter understand as well as the other disciples is that his concern is far greater than what Peter's concerned about. And I believe for some of us today, I wonder if God would say the same thing. What's our concern? Are we concerned about the things of God or about human concerns? And there's a few things I believe that God's concerned about is according to his word. And I believe one of the first ones is this, is that he is concerned about redeeming all of his creation back to himself. And if I could say that differently, it'd be this. He's, he's concerned about making sure that everything and everyone he's created is fixing their eyes on him, worshiping him. Because when they do, 
life is very different and their eternity is different as well. And so he's concerned about redeeming everything to himself. The second thing I believe that scripture tells us that God would be concerned about is his people, his children. He's concerned about me and you that placed our faith in Jesus and not just us, but those have yet to come to know him, to come to have salvation and forgiveness of their sin. He's concerned about his children, his people. And one of the things that I think scripture also makes very clear for us today is this, is that God's not just concerned about this generation, but the next generation, generation to generation to come. He's not just concerned about me and you sitting in this room, but he's thinking about your kids that are in Kids Point right now. He's thinking about your children's children. He's thinking about their lineage and their legacy far beyond them because he's concerned about them. He's concerned. And so if there's anything we can be concerned about today, it's them. And so what's our, what's our focus going to be? Is it going to be on the now or the next? Is it going to be on what God's concerned about or what we're concerned about? You guys with me? Yeah. Amen. Amen. And so before we get into everything, I just want to share a story about something that um, I saw a few weeks ago. You see, me and my wife, we like to uh, have a movie night every Friday night where we'll pick a movie. Or if it's her night, she picks The Bachelorette, and I'm not really too big of a fan. I actually started to like it a little bit, but we'll, we're not going to talk about that right now. You can criticize me later. Um, but this specific night, we chose to watch this movie called The Terminal. And if you've seen it, it's a Tom Hanks movie back in 2004 when he was still relevant. Um, and so, no days of Tom Hanks, but... Um, back when he was still relevant, uh, but this is a, it was probably one of my favorite movies today, and I cried the entire movie. Um, and so one of the scenes that I loved the most, though, about this movie um, was right at the beginning where Tom Hanks, he's getting on this plane, he's coming from a different country, and he's going to visit America for the very first time. Never has stepped foot in America. In fact, he's going to the Big Apple. He's going to New York City. Come on, somebody. And he's going to touch down for the very first time. And what he doesn't know is that the country he was just leaving um, is actually under attack. That from the moment he left to the moment he landed, they had been captured, taken over. People have been killed, starved, taken captive. And as he lands in this airport, he sees a screen, and on the TV it says the name of his country. And in that moment, panic ensued on his, in his heart and in his mind, and he's roaming around this airport in stress and distress, trying to understand what's going on, because if you didn't know, he doesn't speak a word of English, and so everything they're saying, he doesn't know what's going on, but he can just see the pictures. He could just see the hurt and the pain that's being experienced in the place where he's from. And everyone around him, you'd think they'd help him, but instead, they keep walking. They didn't pay him any attention. No, I got to get to my next flight. I can't, I can't deal with this guy today. No, 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 no. I got so much stuff to do. I got my family to meet. I got this to go to. I'm, I'm not concerned about him. And I wonder for us today if this is the same way that we see this generation, if this is the same way we see kids and, and students and young adults that, that maybe we say the same thing. No, I don't have time for them. I can't give them any time today. I got my own kids to worry about. I don't need to focus on them. No, they're a distraction. No, they're going the wrong way. I don't want anything to do with them. They're too much to fix. They're too broken. They're too helpless. But let me tell you, yes, while this generation may be helpless and hopeless, they're in need of some people today that'll be willing to say that I'll give my life and put it down on the line for them to know who God is, for them to experience the love and the grace and the mercy that he has. So my question for you today is this, what's your concern? Is it with the now or is it with the next? Is it with what God's concerned about or is it with what you're concerned about? You guys with me today? Yeah. Amen. And so I want to give us a few things today that I believe will help us to concern ourselves with the next generation. And the first one I believe is this that we can do. It's praying for them. It's praying for them. And we all know what prayer is. Some of us prayed on the way here. 
prayed for breakfast this morning. We prayed before we went to sleep. We prayed that our kids would stop pulling each other's hair in the back of a car. We prayed, we prayed, we prayed, and uh, we know what prayer is. But I think sometimes, like myself, I forget the power that prayer brings. And not only that, the one who's behind answering the very prayers that I pray, the almighty God that created the heavens and the earth, he is the one who answers our prayers. And let me tell you this, he can see it through whatever you pray for. He can do the unimaginable. He can do the very things that we don't even think and have the faith to believe in that he can do. He can do it all. Here's what the Bible says. In James 5, verse 16, it says, the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. And then it goes on to give an example. It says, Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. This first verse really strikes something to me. It says the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. That means that when we pray, God hears. That means when we pray, things can move and things can change in a moment. Because the God of the universe is on the other side of our prayers. Here's what 1 John says. Says this, it says, this is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, and his will simply means this, it's what's in his word. And if it's in his word, it's what he cares about, what he's concerned about. And so we can trust that if it's his will, it's his way. And if it's his way, he's going to make a way. Says he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. And so now that we know that prayer is powerful, why not pray for the next generation? Why not pray that instead of them being bound in depression and anxiety, that they would be set free? That instead of them being covered in sin and stuck in the ways of old, that they would be set free and that God has a new way and a new place for them. That instead of letting them sit in the same place in upset and sad and in insecurity, why not pray for them? Because if God can do it, then, then he'll show up. He'll show up because... Clearly, as it says, in his will, if it's in his will, and we believe that we've asked for it, what does it say? That we could have it, that, it's, that, that he can give it to us and he can deliver on those things. And so maybe for you, you're thinking, well, I've got enough things to pray about. I got to pray about myself. I got a lot of stuff at work, a lot of stress at home. My kids are getting on my nerves. I got to pray for them. Why in the world would I pray for someone else? Well, let me say it like this. You were them once. You were once in their shoes. You were once a high school, a middle school student, a college student. You were once in elementary school. And maybe I'd go as this far to say you didn't have a mother, a father, or a role model in your life to pray for you, to be on your side, to intercede on your behalf. But guess what we get to be? We get to be the difference. We get to be the very thing that they didn't get. We get to be the very thing that fills the gap in their life of things that they didn't have. You know, when I was younger... Um, we used to make our way to church, and I, I grew up in the church, and um, every morning we'd be listening to little Kirk Franklin on the way to church. Come on, I smile, hey, hey, even when, it, no? Y'all, okay, whatever, fine. Look, it's all good. Look, I got, I got it, I got it in me, it's all right. Um, but we listened to Kirk Franklin on the way to church, and I remember my parents, they'd be dead set on the road, and um, it didn't look like they were singing the same song that we were singing. And as I listened closely, I started to notice that the words that were coming out of their mouth were not the words of the song, but instead the names of people that we knew. And not only was the names of people that we knew, but I heard my name come up, and my brother's names come up, and my cousin's names come up, and it intrigued me. I was like, who are they talking to? What are they doing? But now I know that they were praying. They were praying for me. They were praying for my brothers. They were praying that, that we would know the Lord. They were praying that we would have joy found in them, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. They were praying for us. Your kids see everything that you do. So why not 
Let them see you pray, especially when it's for them. Invite them in. Bring them into the space where you pray. When you're spending your time with the Lord in the morning, don't make it just about you. Bring them with you. Let them see. Teach them how to pray. Teach them how they should talk to God. Teach them how they should talk to the one who created them and made them and formed him in his image and in his likeness because they need to know. So we can pray for them today. And our prayers are powerful. They make a difference in their lives and in the lives of everyone around us. Second thing I believe that we can do today in playing our part and concerning ourselves with the next generation is this. It's by telling them. It's by telling them and maybe they can tell them what? Well, we can tell them about who God is. We can tell them that he's a God of grace and mercy and love and not just to say it, but his word backs us up on that. That he can do the impossible. That he can do unimaginable things. And he has the power to do so. I want to show you a statistic real quick that I found from I was taken earlier this year. It says this. It says the number one source of information in this generation from the ages of 9 to 24, social media. So number one source of information. That's where they're getting all the, the news about what's going on in the world. That's where they're getting information about how they should treat others, how they should treat their parents, how they should spend time with other people, how their identity should be, and where their faith should be placed. It's all coming from here. But watch this. This is the same generation that said this next part. The same generation would also say that social media is also the least trustworthy source of information. <laughs> it's kind of interesting that the thing that is the least trustworthy they go to, but it begs me to ask the question, why is it that they're going to this source that's untrustworthy? I would go as far to say is that we're not doing our part enough to share with them about who God is, to share with them about what God's word says. And then maybe for just a moment, if we take a chance and share with them, about what God's word says about them, about how God has created them in his image and his likeness, and that he's made them on purpose for a purpose, and that he's given them life, and he wants them to be with him, to be close with him, then maybe, just maybe, something could be different in their life. Here's what the word says in Psalm 78. It says, my people, hear my instruction. Listen to the words from my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known and that our ancestors have passed down to us. Let me ask you this. Maybe the things that you grew up on knowing in church, have you taken a moment to tell them? Have you taken a moment to share it with them, with your grandkids, with your nieces, with your nephews, with your friends at school, with the people that you engage with at work? Have you, have you told them about what, how God has changed your life? Here's what it goes on to keep saying. It says this. It says, we will not hide them from their children but will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might, and the wondrous works he has performed. He has established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which, the, which he commanded our ancestors to teach to their children, that a future generation, watch this, children yet to be born. That means their children's children might know. They were to rise and to tell their children so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works. To keep his commands. For the parents of the room, let me ask you this. When's the last time you've shared your testimony with your children? When's the last time you've told them? And you may be thinking, well, it's too much for them. No, no, no. They need to know what God's done in your life. They need to know that when you were in the pit, how God pulled you out. They need to know that when you were depressed, the joy of the Lord was your strength. They need to know that when you were in need of healing, that he was the healing that you needed. They need to know. 
Because when they know what God can do, then they'll believe for bigger things. They'll believe that he can still do miracles because he still does today. And I pray that this generation will be a generation that has a greater faith than any that's come before them, that has a greater faith enough to believe that this world can be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that has the faith to believe that God can do the impossible. But it takes us to tell them. And I would say this, if we don't pray and if we don't tell them, then who will? If we don't, who will? And I think the rest of this passage shows us what happens when we don't. It says this in verse 8. It says, then they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not loyal and whose spirit was not faithful to God. I pray that it would not be said about us that we didn't tell the next generation about who God is so that they did not become a stubborn and rebellious generation, one that turns away from him but instead walks towards him. And so today, we get to play a huge part in their life by telling them about who God is, by showing them, by, by praying for them. Because like I said, because if we don't, who will? Who will tell them? How will they know? How will they understand and receive the message of salvation that God has for them if we don't tell them, if we don't show them, if we don't make it a priority today? And here's what I say is this last part is this. It's probably the hardest, um, if I'll be honest, and but I do think it's the most beneficial thing that we could do to concern ourselves with the next generation. It's this. It's by showing them. It's by being an example of who Jesus was and modeled, not just in the Bible, but to you. How he showed up for you. How he spoke to you. The tone he used. The love that he showed. The embrace that he embraced you with. We need to show them. And, and if I can be honest uh, I have a conversations with a lot of friends that um, maybe didn't grow up in the church or um, don't want anything to do with God, frankly. And every time I ask them, what, is the, what are some of the reasons why you wouldn't come to church or even entertain the thought and, um, or even give light of it? And they, it sounds like they say the same similar thing, and it's this. You know, I, I encountered Christians before, and it seemed like the things they say they didn't actually live. That when they talked about greeting and, and, and having a love and a mercy beyond no other, that they didn't show it. That when they talked about greeting someone with, 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 with just mercy and grace, that they didn't replicate that. They talked a lot, but they didn't show a lot. I grew up like this. It's, they didn't practice what they preached. And so today, I want to ask you, I want to challenge you to this. What does your life look like today? How is it an example for the next generation? Because they see everything that you do. Just like when my parents were praying in the car, I saw them praying. But let me ask you, what do they see? What do they experience from you? How do they experience when you talk to them? How you love them? What is it they get from you? We are models for them today. We're examples for them. Parents, for you, I believe one of the greatest opportunities that you have to make a difference in the life of your student and your child is this. It's by making it a priority to be in God's house to be in this place, not just once a month, every single week. Yeah. No, I got, we got schedules, we got this. Hey, I love you. Sports are important and sports are great and activities are great, but their eternity is more of a priority. Yeah. That it's not about that they make a D1 scholarship and get to a college, no. Their relationship with Jesus is on the line, so what will you do? What's more of a priority? Is it them going off and, and getting a full-ride scholarship, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that or their eternity with their savior? Yeah. What's more of a priority? 
So why not make it a priority to be in God's house? And not even just that, get them to Kids Point. Get them to youth group. Get them to youth conference. Get them to youth nights. Get them in the places where they can experience godly community that will help them to grow closer to Jesus. We can show them by making it a priority in our life for them to know that God is good. Another thing that maybe if you're a student or, or you're a young adult in the room and you're maybe thinking, well, I don't have kids of my own and how could I make a difference? Simply by this, inviting them here. Bring them to church. And maybe if they won't come to church, invite them into a place where you can share the love of Jesus with them, the goodness of who God is with who they, with who they are, so that, that way they can experience and know. And more than this, I'd say this. Uh, you know, when I was in high school, um, I had a hard time uh, practicing what I preached. In fact, I would go to church and be one way and go to school and be another. That I would go to church and be all, praise the Lord, but go to school and, and, be, and, be, and be cursing and talking bad about people and doing all these things. And so you can be a model by living the same way that you do here, there. And yes, they may look at you differently. Yes, they may treat you differently. But you now have an opportunity to minister to their soul. You now have an opportunity to speak into their life and help them find eternal life in Jesus. So be an example today. Um, I met a man by the name of Anthony. He actually serves here at our Fred campus on our youth team. Come on, can we get up for Anthony this morning? And I met Anthony a few weeks ago, actually at a youth group, and um, I just got to talking with him. I'm like, man, what are you doing here? Why, why are you here with the youth? Why are you serving? And his response was this, and it kind of shocked me. He said, if I'm honest, I didn't want to be here to begin with. And I was like, really? He's like, tell me about that a little bit. Um, and he said, well, when I first heard about him, people were asking me. He's like, I don't, want, I don't want to do that. I don't want nothing to do with that. I'm good. I'm good. I don't want nothing to do with that. But then I finally said yes, and the moment that I stepped in, what my eyes saw blew me away. I saw students worshiping the Lord with all their heart, on their face before him, seeking him, wanting him, desiring him. This generation wants the Lord. And he was able to see that with his eyes, and he said, you know what it did for me? It changed my heart. And it made me realize that if I hadn't seen it, I wouldn't have believed it. I wouldn't have been able to go, you know what, maybe, maybe I can make a difference in the next generation. You know, there's a study that Barna um, did a, a, a little while ago that says this, that um, a lot of students in the age of their 20s um, that grew up in the church um, will continue to stay in the church because of not just their parents, but because of another adult in their life that was not a part of their family, a small group leader, a, 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 a youth group leader, someone that serves on a camera at youth night, that opens the door and greets them, that serves on security because they were a part and made it a priority to show them and be a part their lives are able to be changed and impacted by it. And so today, what will your choice be? Will you be concerned about the now, about human concerns or about eternity, about the next generation? Because they need to know. They need to know who God is. They need to know that you're praying for them and that you love them and that you're showing them what it's like to live a life with Jesus. I'd even go as far to say this, maybe today you're you're feeling just a burden or a conviction in your heart to, to be a part of what God wants to do in this next generation. Go to Growth Track, go to the Black Tank, get on a team, serve, jump in. And you may feel like, well, I don't know everything I need to know. I don't feel like I have everything I need. Let me tell you this, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. He will equip you and prepare you for what he wants to do through you in the next generation. But it just takes making it a priority to take the step of obedience, take the step of faith to do what God's asking us to do. And so, what will your response be today? Because if we don't pray, if we don't tell them, if 
we don't show them. Who will? So I'd love to pray for us this, this morning if every head could be bowed and every eye could be closed. Maybe you're in this room today and um, you're thinking to yourself, you know, it's great that um, we love the next generation and we care for them and we want to see God do things in their life and um, we want them to know about who God is, but if I'm honest, I don't know who God is. Maybe you go as far as to say this, I don't even know that I have a relationship with Jesus. Well, the Bible makes it very clear as this, is that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in a heart that God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, then you'll be saved and forgiven and set free. And I believe God that wants that for you too today, not just for the next generation, but for you as well. And so if that's you, I just need you to know that Jesus loves you, that he was sent here on this earth and lived a life perfect, free of sin, so that he could pay for our sin. But he didn't stay there. He rose from the grave, overcoming it all and giving us freedom and forgiveness and joy like no other. And so if you would like to make the decision today to simply say, that's me, I want to place my faith in Jesus. I want to put my life in his hands. I want to give you the opportunity here in a moment just to slip your hand up. You'd be making that decision. We just want to pray for you today. We're not here to embarrass you or to, to say anything about you, but we just simply want to pray with you today. And so if that's you, I just ask on the count of three that you just slip your hand up so we can be praying for you. One, two, three. Amen. Amen. I see you. I see you. You can put down your hands. Church, we're going to pray this prayer together for the benefit of those that are praying it for the first time. And this prayer is not magical at all. But what it simply is, is this, is just professing the faith and the decision we've just made to place our faith in Jesus. And so could you repeat after me, dear Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. I believe that you lived. I believe that you died. And I believe that you rose from the grave. Thank you for my new beginning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Come on, can we give it up for everyone who made that decision today? Thanks for joining us for today's message. Feel free to rate, review, and share with a friend. If you'd like to find out how you can get involved or partner with us financially, visit lifepoint.org or download the LifePoint app. Thank you for your generosity. We can do so much more together than we ever could apart. See you soon.